Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. All right, everybody, we are in a series called The Prayer, where we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. And today is about the forgiveness of debts. And so we're going to dive into a couple of Hebrew scripture passages, one from Deuteronomy and one from the book of Proverbs that speak about this idea of debts. This first one is coming towards the end of Moses's time with Israel. They're about to enter into the promised land and Moses is giving his final sermon, his final speech, his final words of instructions to the people. He's going over everything the Lord has taught him. And this is what he has to say about how they treat one another. At the end of every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. This is how it must be done. Everyone must cancel the loans they have made to their fellow Israelites. They must not demand payment from their neighbors or relatives for the Lord's time of release has come. And then in Proverbs, the wise say this, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. When I was growing up and in school, I absolutely loved math. I loved that you could solve an equation and find the right answer. I love that you could prove that you got the right answer, that you could show your work. Um, I hated having to show my work like all of us did, but I loved that I could do it and prove that I got it right. I loved that there was a right answer. Just recently, my son was finishing up some end of the semester homework and was a little behind, and so we were sitting down and trying to help motivate him and get him to finish up the last packet, the last assignment, and we were going over solving these equations, and it was, you know, it was an algebra, and so you had to solve for x, and so you had to, you know, subtract this and multiply that, and you had to, you know, move this over and get rid of this variable, and so you had to do all of this fun algebra type stuff, and I was getting really into it, and one of the study sessions, it was, you know, you have to accomplish this part of the work in order to get to the next thing, and I was like, well, the thing that he was having to do was not exactly made for him. So like it, it was a timed thing. And and my son is, you know, doing things fast is not his forte. And so I kind of took a look at it and I thought, well, this is dumb. I can't believe they're making you have to get all of this right. It was like, you know, answer these 
15 problems in 30 seconds or less or whatever it was in order to move on. And I was like, well, this is just hard anyway, even though I know he knows all the right answers. Like, I know he knows what the square root of 64 is. It's 8. I know he knows that the square root of, of 25 is 5. I know that he knows that the square root of 16 is 4, and so on and so on. He knows all of those square roots. It just takes a second. And so this timing thing, I was like, well, this is dumb. And so I was like, hey, bud, just move over. And so I grabbed the computer and I was like, we got to get to the next section of studying for whatever's coming up and do the next thing. So let me just do this really quick. So I just grabbed it. And, you know, like I said, uh, math is my thing. And so I just kind of went through it really quickly, got it done. Um, and then suddenly it popped up and it said, you earned 100% for this assignment. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This was an assignment? Are you serious? Like, this wasn't just like a study practice thing that we needed to move on from and get to the next study thing. This was actually like graded assignment, turn it into the teacher kind of thing. And he's like, well, yeah, dad. I mean, what did you think it was? And I was like, no one said anything. Like, I had no idea. And so I'm like having this moral quandary of like, okay, I know I was trying to help my kid move on to the next thing. And I knew he knew this, but now he got a grade that he didn't technically earn and I did his homework for him. And so oh, what do I do? And so I was like, okay, let's just move on. And then the next day, of course, I was like, hey, just an FYI. And, you know, kind of explain the situation. And of course, the teacher just kind of laughed it off and said, hey, no problem. Thanks for sitting down with them and working on his homework, whatever, whatever, whatever. And so, you know, we move on and we 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 learn from our, our, our moral quandaries, right? But the point I'm making is I love math. I love it. I love that I could help my kid. You know, I love that this was a part of the math process that, that I understand and I get and I get excited about because the, the, the other truth is not only do I love math, but there came a point where I stopped loving math. I stopped loving it hard. I stopped loving it and, and ran from it. I was like, no more math for this guy. You know, there's that great movie, Goodwill Hunting, where Will Hunting has this just amazing ability to understand math. And he's getting kind of tutored, mentored by this uh, professor who's trying to see exactly how genius level Will is. And you know, he's trying to explain it to the therapist and he's like, these problems I've spent my whole life agonizing over and studying and I still don't get it. And for him, it's easy. You know, Will, Will describes that it's like Bach when he sees a piano, he just plays. And when he sees a math equation, it just, it just comes to him. He just plays. And, and, and that is not me, right? I am no Will Hunting. I am no math genius. And when we got to like calculus, I was like, no, thank you. Um, I, I had no idea how to hold all those variables and dimensions and all the, the, the different possibilities in my mind at one time. I didn't know how to show my work anymore. I didn't know how to do the work. And so math just became this whole other thing, partly because it stopped being very uh, logical for me. I know it's still logical, but it became more theoretical. And so I, I got lost. I, I had a hard time. The thing that I love about the Lord's Prayer is that in a lot of ways, it has felt like algebra to me. It's felt like something that I can solve. It's felt like something that I get, that I can accomplish, that I can check off. You know, it's it's a it's a do this and this will come and it's a put this in and you'll get this out. And I feel like a lot of my faith, a lot of the Bible, a lot of my Christianity, a lot of the Lord's Prayer, all of this stuff has felt a lot like that seventh and eighth grade kind of algebra math solve for X. Like, I get this. Like, there's a problem. There's a solution. I get this. Like, that's the way that Christianity has made sense to me for a really, really long time. But the problem is that I don't think that's the point. 
I don't think that's what faith or the Bible or the Lord's Prayer is supposed to be. I don't think it's supposed to be simple math. So let's dive into where we've gotten so far, and then we'll explore this idea of forgiveness and debts as we try to understand how can we take the Lord's Prayer beyond simple math and move it into something else, but yet still feel like we can play, still feel like we can dance with it. So this is where we've gotten so far as we've studied this prayer. We have four different run-on sentences that we've created in order to flesh out and to kind of play with what the Lord's Prayer means. And so here's how we've kind of rewritten it for us. To the one in whom we belong and who makes us family, the source and divine parent who runs the house from a posture of wholeness and shalom, may your distinguishable character and your actions infused with justice and mercy be made known through those in your family. Reveal and bring your way and your order. May it happen as we co-create with you so this place reflects wholeness and shalom. Give us what we need for each day. There is enough. Let us not use the necessities for life as a way to gain power over others. And now, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's two big things I want us to focus on. This idea of forgiveness and the idea of debts. First thing is with forgiveness. Forgiveness, we've talked about a number of times, and we don't need to go over all the intricacies of it. We don't need to dive into too many pieces of it. Here's what I want to point out to us, that so often when we say the Lord's Prayer, the version that we say is kind of a conglomeration of different versions of it that we find in the the text. And so traditionally, like the most traditional or one of the most traditional ways we've said this, that we've been, that many people have memorized or been taught to say or told to say after they've gone to confession or whatever it is, is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now here's the trick. That last idea, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, is actually not found in the book of Matthew. That is not how Jesus concludes the Lord's Prayer. Instead, the very next verse, after we get to the idea of lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is this line. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your divine parent will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your parent forgive your trespasses. Hmm. Interesting. So we're not headed off into glory. We're not doing this beautiful little poetic wrap-up. Instead, we are now doubling down on the forgiveness part. Not only do we say, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, but if you forgive others that your their debts, your divine parent will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will the divine parent forgive your debts. So essentially what we have here are two things. Number one, forgiveness is a really big deal. Think of it this way. It's kind of like 
the first part of the prayer is all about getting our orientation right, right? It's this idea of we need to know who God is. We need to know that this household is being run from a place of wholeness and shalom. We need to trust that God has got this, that we are invited into this as God's family. We're calling God our parent, our father, our mother. We're calling God the source, the one that we come from, the house that we are being raised in. So we trust that God is with us and that we are co-creating with God and that we're not just waiting for heaven to come, but we're actually bringing heaven to earth, that we're actually called to build this wholeness and this shalom, this right way of living and being in the world, this way of justice and grace and love. We're called to bring that here and now. So that's our orientation. How do we do that? We need to make sure there's enough for everyone, right? We need to make sure that people get their daily needs met, their daily bread. We need to make sure that all of those things that make being human hum, we need to make sure everyone has that today. We need to make sure that the haves give it to the have-nots. We We need to trust that God creates a beautiful creation that has enough all of that needs to hum and flow and then and then we need to do the hard work of forgiving because we have a tendency to mess it all up so forgiveness is a big deal and at the end of this prayer when when jesus says for if you forgive others their 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 debts or trespasses or sins your divine parent will also forgive you here's the thing this is why it felt so much like math to me it feels like one plus one equals two It feels like if I forgive, then God forgives. And so we move into this beautiful new number two, right? So one plus one equals two, right? It feels like if I do this, then God does that. And then boom, it works. And it feels so much like math. And I just, I love the simplicity of that, that if forgiveness is this beautiful dynamic thing and, and yet, and yet it's so simple. One plus one equals two. I have a friend, and I'm going to just say, call him Johnny for the sake of this story. My friend Johnny, when we go out, um, you know, we get to the end of the night, whether it's we're, you know, at a, at a meal or we go out somewhere to grab a drink or whatever it is. And, uh, and one of us, you know, we'll, we'll usually pick up the check. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that like scrutinizes a little bit over like how much something costs, how much, you know, is my portion versus someone else's portion. Um, you know, I grew up with a dad that balanced the checkbook, you know, on a monthly basis at the dinner table, got all the checks out, got the checkbook out and just made sure that everything was accounted for. Um, and so like understanding where every dime and every penny and every dollar is going and how, you know, where, where it is and what it goes to makes sense to me. It's something that, uh, that I kind of grew up around being responsible about that. I haven't always been the best at it, but I know that that's the way that I should be. And so when I go out with my friend, Johnny, and it gets to the end of the night and he goes, oh, I got it. And I'm like, oh no, I'll get it. And you know, I can get my own. He'll be like, no, 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 I got it. He goes, you know, it, it, it'll all work out in the end. You know, we'll just, you know, we'll, you, you'll get it next time. I'll get it this time. It all works out in the end. And that's like his phrase. It all works out in the end. And, and I gotta be honest. I love it. I love it because sometimes that means I don't have to pay anything that night, but like, I also don't love it. <laughs> I also, I also really, really don't. It actually causes me a little anxiety. It causes me a little like, uh, but, but, but will it, will it work out in the end? Or are you going to get mad? Like if, if we go somewhere nice tonight and you pick it up, but then next time we go grab a burger and it costs less and then I pick it up, are you going to be like weird about it? Or what if, what if tonight's the burger night and you, and you want to pay for it, but then the next time we go and we get like, ribeye and then i'm supposed to am i supposed to pay for that because i'm sorry but ribeye costs a whole lot more than a burger at five guys and so like i i just 
is it going to work out in the end? I mean, you know, and then we, then when you mix kids involved, I got two kids, he's got four. I mean, okay, so if you pick up the tab for my kids and there's two of them, but then do I have to pick up the tab for yours and there's four of them? I mean, like, ha, hmm, you know, like I just start to like, oh, does it work out in the end? And like, it causes a little bit of anxiety in me. But here's the thing. The reason why my friend Johnny does this is because two things. One, he actually does trust that like it'll all work out in the end and that it's okay. And, and here's the, here, but here's why. Because he knows that this is more than just about uh, coming up with a dollar for dollar match to show that we have an equal friendship because this is about friendship. And like friends just make things easy for each other. Like I got it this time or I got it that time. And like, don't worry about it. And don't, and like, and literally when he says, don't worry about it, he literally means don't worry about it. Don't go home and scrutinize about whether or not this dinner was more expensive than that dinner or like this dinner had included drinks and that dinner didn't include drinks. He's, he literally does not want to worry about it. It's like, it's like the last thing that he wants to spend his time on. And, and I need to learn from that. I need to learn like, oh my gosh. The point of us going out was just enjoying each other, was just hanging out, talking about the game, talking about movies, talking about life, kids, parenting, like, you know, relationship, marriage, all the things that we spend time talking about. That's the point of the night. Not wondering if like $3 here, $5 there, $10 there, a dollar here. Like, no, that's not what is needed in the friendship. And he's right. It does work out in the end because in the end, we're friends. In the end, we're doing life with each other and we're doing it meaningfully. Because here's the thing about forgiveness. At one point, the disciples come to Jesus and they want to know how much they have to forgive. And they say, Lord, how much should I forgive my friend? Seven times? Like, should I do it a lot? Should I do it enough to a point of completeness, right? Seven is the number of completeness. And Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven, which is you know, so you could do the math on that, right? Like, okay, well, that's 490 times I'm supposed to forget. No, no, that's, that's ludicrous. The point Jesus is trying to make is you don't get to stop being forgiving because forgiveness is an orientation. Forgiveness is a way of life. Forgiveness is a way of being. We are simply forgiving people or we're not. So instead of the end of this prayer being one plus one equals two. Now I'm good. I forgive the other person. God forgives me. Now we're okay. The point is that one plus one equals flourishing. One plus one equals flourishing. That when I am a forgiving person and God is a forgiving God, then all of this starts to flourish and hum, and move, and flow, and it's relationship. One plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one is supposed to equal flourishing. Israel, during the time of the promised land, and during the time of preparation in the wilderness, as they were getting ready to enter into the promised land, they were supposed to be preparing for flourishing. And that's why Moses gives the instruction from God the way he did, that in this sabbatical year, in this seventh year rhythm, you are to forgive the debts incurred in the community. Not because there's some mathematical problem that needs to be figured out, but because the goal of this community is to flourish and to thrive and to move forward and to flow, not just get on an equal playing field. And so they set up this system that that seems mathematical. Every seven years you forgive the debts. But the thing is, it's not, it's not mathematical. 
because you actually haven't finished paying back the loan. Because what would happen is you'd have a couple of different communities, right? One tribe's over here, another tribe's over here, another tribe. There's 12 tribes, right? And there's all these families within all these tribes. Well, they're not all living like door to door next to each other. They got land over here, land over here, across that hill, across that valley, right? They got all these different spots. And sometimes an area would get more rain than another. Sometimes an area would get less rain than another. Sometimes there would be a different region of the country, one that gets snow, one that doesn't, right? And all these different things that could happen and weather and harvest and and all this stuff would play into, is this going to work this year, right? And so sometimes you would have a family that might struggle, that the crops might not come in, it might not produce enough seed for the next year, and so they don't have anything that they can then put in the ground. There don't have any seeds available to them to put in the ground for the next year. So you might have to go to a neighbor, you might have to go to someone else in a different tribe and say, hey, my crops didn't come in the way they want, I don't have enough seed to plant my field, can you borrow me some? And they might say, yeah, Yes, you can borrow from me. Here you go. Here's enough seed for the harvest. And then the next year, the same thing happens. And the next year, you know, you had a full harvest, but not enough to pay back the loan that you had from two years ago. And it just builds up and it builds up and you never get to pay it back. And suddenly it's been five years, four years, you know, six years. And and then in the seventh year, you still don't have enough. You've tried paying it back. But here's the thing, that sabbatical year, you just say, you know what? You're good. You don't owe me anything anymore. You know what? Go ahead and plant your crops and and, and let's just move forward. Let's move forward because we need to flourish as a people. We need to flourish as a people, not flourish as individual families. Because the thing is, is that when we keep a debt over someone, we keep power over them. When we have a debt, we have power. Debts are all about power. We know this. We know this. You know, my son and I are driving around the other day and we're looking at all the buildings in Minneapolis and he, he looks at a few of them and he goes, dad, why, why are all the, the big buildings named after, you know, bank banks or, or different, you know, financial institutions? And he didn't have that word for it. He's like, why are they all named after commercials, right? Like, why are they all named after all of these insurance companies and banks and all these things? And it's like, well, yeah, who gives out the loans in this country? right? Who's the one that, that, that cleans up people's medical debt, right? Who are the ones that capitalize on catastrophe, right? Just look at where we borrow money and look at who, who capitalizes on people's calamity and catastrophe. That's where all the big buildings are, right? Because debt creates opportunity for power. And the thing about Israel is that God knew that would happen and said, don't let it happen to you. Forgive the debt. We like to assume that there's a sense of balance and equality and fairness to life. We like to assume that things balance out or that there is equality. We all start from the same point or that there's a sense of fairness that what goes around comes around, that it'll all it'll all be fair. And, and, and the thing is, life, right? The thing is, life happens and it isn't that way. Life is not balanced. It's not equal. It's not fair. Some people are born in one region of the world versus another. Some are born into a family with means and generational wealth. Another is born into a cycle of poverty. Someone is born and they have been given certain gifts that society values and suddenly they're paid more for it, whereas the gifts of somebody else, they're not. And so that isn't fair. That isn't equal. That isn't balanced because life is not that way. And so we wonder Will it ever work out? Because because debts capitalize on the fact 
that things are not fair, that things are not equal, that things are not in balance. Debts build up and they become their own cycle. They're like the cycle of violence. We want them to lead to redemption. We want a debt to lead us back into equity or or we want a debt to lead us back into equality. We want debts to be fair, but they tend to only cause more injustice. And they tend to cause more injustice because debts, debts lead to power and people are more prone to protect their power, protect the status quo, protect their position than they are to forgive. People people are more likely to protect their power in the status quo than they are to operate with a sense of forgiveness. This is why what God said to Moses and what Moses said to the people is so powerful for us today is that we need to create a system where debts can be forgiven. Here's the thing. We like to think things should work out fairly. And we like to think that having debts over people and forcing them to pay back what they owe, to be fair, is a good thing. And it leads to a sense of wholeness. But the thing is, fairness is the death of freedom. Fairness is the death of freedom because life is not fair. It's not. It will never be fair. It will never work out fair. We will never pass laws enough to make it fair. Instead, instead, we like to pretend that it is fair, but then it leads to a lack of freedom because people get stuck in the same cycles of violence, the same cycles of poverty, cycles of oppression, the same cycles of marginalization. When we think that things are fair, we uphold the status quo that benefits some and hurts others. And I know some of you are going, wow, these are really big concepts. Fairness is the death of freedom. There's no such thing as equality. Like, then what do we do? I don't know. I don't know what we do. All I know is that we need to name some of this stuff so that somebody can come along and get creative about some doing something different about it. And here's the thing. There are people doing something different about it. There are different ways of understanding finances. There are different ways of understanding generational wealth. There are different ways of understanding how government should work and laws should work and how who it should benefit and how. There are different words we could use. Instead of word, using the word equality, we could use the word equity. Equity within that word, within the definition, it has an expectation that in order to get back to a healthy level playing field or help help get back to a place where we are have the same opportunity that someone might need more than an than someone else. Someone might need something in order to get to the place that I am. That's equity. Maybe we need to start using different vocabulary. Maybe instead of saying things need to be equal, maybe we need to say things need to be equitable. Because here's the thing about debts. This idea of forgiving debts, of being a person oriented towards forgiveness that forgives the debts, this is about freedom, not about fairness. We think that having debts is about fairness, but it's about freedom. Because when you have a debt, you have power, and you need to free the other person from your position of power. You need to give up that power, let it go. Because here's the thing about that power. Here's the thing about that position that you have over someone, is that it does something to them, but it's also doing something to you. 
And so freedom, freedom of debts, being a person of forgiveness, not only liberates the other, but it liberates you. Because forgiveness has the power to impact families, nations, systems, other people, and ourselves. If fairness is the death of freedom, then forgiveness is the path to freedom. Forgiveness is the path to freedom. We need to figure out how do we forgive debts as we have been forgiven. Because one plus one does not equal two. One plus one needs to equal flourishing of all people. To the one in whom we belong and who makes us family. The source and divine parent who runs the house from a posture of wholeness and shalom. May your distinguishable character and your actions infused with justice and mercy be made known through those in your family. Reveal and bring your way and your order. May it happen as we co-create with you so this place reflects wholeness and shalom. Give us what we need for each day. There is enough. Let us not use the necessities for life as a way to gain power over others. May forgiveness be an orientation flowing openly between us all, trusting that having power and money over one another only leads to bondage. May this be our prayer. May we be people of forgiveness. Let's pray. God of grace, God of peace, God of forgiveness, may we be people who are orientated towards forgiveness. May we be people who allow it to flow through us. May we be people who trust that it will work out, that there's something more than an evenness, a fairness, and an equality, a balance. May we trust that there is something better out there, that there's a flow. May we trust that there's a flourishing possible. May we trust that your way of running the house and how it works itself out is better than we can possibly imagine. May we join you. May we participate as we are invited to. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. couple quick announcements for the community coming up on february 11th we have an exciting day for everyone um at nine o'clock starting at nine o'clock we are going to be having a pancake breakfast to raise some funds some donations for youth emissions work so at nine o'clock come and get some good old pancakes and sausage in the fellowship hall if you are a bell ringer, we will have pancakes for you at 845. But if you are not a bell ringer, please come at 9. Also, on the 11th, we will be having a baptism. We are having uh, two little ones, um, Aubrey Freed and Henry Freed. Uh, they are cousins, and they are cute. And so we are going to be doing a baptism with the two of them on Sunday the 11th during the service. And then that night is, lo and behold, the Super Bowl. And the Chiefs are going to be playing the 49ers, and we're going to be having a party at church. So come at five or anytime thereafter, and we're going to have two different TVs to watch the game. One will be in the fellowship hall. That's the loud room. And so if you want to kind of watch the game, maybe play some board games, maybe talk too much, maybe have fun with other people and all that boring stuff that people like to do at a party, blah, 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 then come to the fellowship hall, eat a bunch of food and hang out with everybody. But
But if you're a serious football watcher, or if you are a serious commercial watcher, if you are someone that wants to analyze and scrutinize and only talk football and strategy, if you really want to listen to Tony Romo uh, talk about this football game and Jim Nance do the play-by-play, then you need to go to Pioneer Hall. We are going to have another TV set up in Pioneer Hall for the serious football watchers, those who do not want to be interrupted by the non-essential parts of life, that they, the people that want to talk about other things that are going on in life. No, it's a football night, and that's what this night is for. It's for football. If that's you, then go to Pioneer Hall. If you just want to hang out, eat food, and hang out with everybody else, then we'll see you in the fellowship hall. Uh, coming up on February 18th, we are going to be doing our first installment of the book discussion on the book, Where We Meet. Uh, this is our Lenten study. We are going to be looking at uh, weeks one and two. So this is a kind of a weekly day-by-day uh, Lenten journey, and we're going to be talking about weeks one and two of the Lenten journey, uh, and that's going to take place on February 18th. And then finally, to kick off the Lenten journey on Valentine's Day, it's also doubling as Ash Wednesday. So go out, have a wonderful Valentine's time, or if you're not a Valentine's person, then just go have a regular old Wednesday. But then come at seven, and we're going to be in the sanctuary, and we're going to have an interactive and contemplative service where we're going to have the imposition of Ash. And we're going to give you space to think about and to ponder and to, and to wonder and to imagine how can you enter into this Lenten season with a from a place of what do I need to maybe let go of? What do I need to be praying for? And maybe where can I find somewhere to give back and, and move beyond myself? And then finally, as many of you saw in the Tuesday News, our weekly email that goes out, we are starting a new section on General Conference. General Conference is the gathering that takes place every four years for Methodists around the globe. Uh, this coming uh, April, it's going to be taking place in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there are some interesting and important parts um, of legislation that will be getting voted on. And one that I want to highlight really quickly is this idea of regionalization. So currently, the way that that things work is that the entire globe of Methodists, all the Methodists around the world come together and they have to vote on different legislation and whatever the majority says or whatever the threshold is for something passing, that's what goes into uh, like kind of, you know, church law in a way, or that's what goes into any changes to the book of discipline or process or how things work. Anyway, what the proposal is, is that they want to regionalize for the sake of helping different communities um, make decisions regionally that fit the culture in which they find themselves. So, for instance, the the culture and the understanding of, of the Bible and the understanding of theology and the book of discipline uh, that takes place in Africa may be different than the way it is in the United States or the way it is in Europe or the way it is in Asia. And so the idea is that we want or there, that people in the Methodist church want to regionalize so that different areas of the globe can make decisions about how to best practice their understanding of scripture. And one of the reasons why this is a really big deal is because globally, the United Methodist Church, because it's a global thing and because there are different parts of the world that are of a more traditional mindset when it comes to marriage, globally, the position that is currently in the Book of Discipline is that marriage is seen as between a man and a woman and that you cannot 
be an openly gay clergy or officiate a same-sex wedding. And clearly here in Minnesota, in the Minnesota Annual Conference, clearly here at Peace, and, and, and around the United States, that is not the majority held position in the U.S., definitely not in Minnesota, and definitely not here at Peace. And so the argument for regionalization is the recognition that maybe for different parts of the globe where there are differences of theological interpretation, biblical interpretation, um, and different ways of seeing how to be inclusive um, and uphold the, uh, you know, what certain positions the church holds on things, they need to be voted on regionally as opposed to globally. And so um, there's an interesting vote that will take place about regionalization. In the Tuesday news, we will try to attach as many links and articles. We'll try to be as well-rounded in what we give to you. Not everything will be coming from a a neutral point of view. Some of it will be coming from advocacy groups. And so we want to make sure we name that when we do that. But we want to let you know what's coming and why it's important. And for any of you that are wondering how this may affect peace, especially this issue of regionalization, what happens if it doesn't pass? What happens if it's not regional and the church solidifies or doubles down on its position? We we here at Peace are, are not are not in a position of danger or fear because we trust that the Minnesota Annual Conference is a place of inclusion and, and affirming of all people, regardless of, of who they love, regardless of what they look like or, or how they vote. We trust that it's an inclusive part of the United Methodist Church and that it will support us that are also trying to live with that space of inclusivity and, and affirming of people. And so I am not concerned um, as, a, as a pastor about officiating a wedding. I'm not concerned about um, if there's a clergy member who identifies as LGBTQ+, um, that is um, fully supported, and we affirm that, and we want to create all the opportunity and room um, that we possibly can for people. And so uh, that is that is Peace's position. That's the Minnesota Annual Conference's position. That is the majority position in the United States. Um, it just might not be the one held globally. And so um, we're hoping for regionalization, or at least I am. I'll say that. Um, I don't want to speak for others. Um, but we also, if that doesn't happen, we're not feeling fear. Um, we just know that there's more work to do. Um, so those are some of the announcements for what's coming up. Please keep an eye on Tuesday news. Um, please like, rate, review, pass on, forward, send to this podcast, extend the reach of what we're doing here. We're so grateful for all of you that listen to this, um, especially if you're not able to make it um, on a Sunday morning. We love you and we're praying for you. Please let us know how we can pray for you. Just feel free to email the church admin at peaceumc.com and we want to hear from you how we can pray for you. All right, God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.